services. It was three years ago today that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. In a matter of weeks, the virus first reported in China spread to more than 100 countries. It's killed nearly 7 million people. The WHO says COVID is still a public health emergency around the world. I'm Nora Rahm, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Bank of America, offering access to resources and digital tools designed to help local to global companies make moves for their businesses. Learn more at bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness. It's a cloudy morning here on the Augustana College campus. You're just in time, though, for a warm and bright conversation with this week's guest, Tracy Singleton, Morning Edition host for our public radio station, WVIK. I'm Kai Swanson. I hope you'll join us here on Quad Cities Public Radio as we while away the hour and check in on the composer's datebook. Oh, who knows what else? All ahead on Saturday Morning Live, portions recorded. Well, Tracy Singleton, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a while because I know I am by no means unique among stalwart Morning Edition listeners who are so (laughs) grateful to hear your voice when I wake up in the morning. Thank you so much. No, thank you. When did you start? It's been... I started in October. Right, because I was going to say, it hasn't quite been a year, Mm -hmm. but oh, it's been so much fun because I used to do that gig a long time ago. There's so many little things in it, and you're just swimming like a duck in water. It's just great. Oh, thank you. I I had a a lot of pressure that probably that I put on myself to follow Jay. Yeah. Because everyone loved Jay, and I was worried that people would be like, oh, she's not Jay. So... And um, so I was trying to do everything like he did it. And then um, I had a conversation one day and uh, they were like, hey, I'm waiting for you to be you Ah. and not Jay. (laughs) And so at that point in time, I felt like, okay, it's it's okay. Like I got the green light thumbs up to go ahead and do what was comfortable for me. Yeah. Um, So I love it. It's definitely... um, early. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. It's definitely early, but I've gotten used to it. Well, I was a, n- a notorious night owl mm-hmm. all through college, mm-hmm. and I wasn't planning on a career in radio. Um, I was just going to do this for a little bit and then go do something else. Uh-huh. And then the morning host left, uh, and I, at least you had that nice little bit of you know sort of coaching and everything yes. like that. I still have on a yellow piece of paper uh, a typewritten note from Don mm-hmm. saying, you know, for the month of February 1987, you are Mary Masters, who was the previous host yeah, yeah. of the show. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And <laughs> there was no falter all there at all. But what was so funny is getting used to that morning. Yeah. Uh, and my my father especially thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted me to stay up late one night. We were going to watch a World Series game. Oh, okay. And I said, sorry, Dad, I got to get home and get some sleep. Oh, he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I was never about getting up early in the morning. Yeah. So it's an adjustment. Well, I love to sleep. I really yeah, me too. Do. I love to sleep. And unfortunately for me, my um, husband also has a very early morning. Mm. He commutes to work, so he has to get up at 3.30 in the morning. Oh, um, so it was 
kind of like I would be up with, you know, to tell him goodbye and make his lunch. And then, but then I'd go back to sleep. So now Hmm. I just get up to make sure I'm up. Yeah. But when eight o'clock at night arrives, it's, we're both wanting to go to bed. Sure, (laughs) sure, sure. Yes. Well, it's a huge adjustment, but one of the things that I really appreciate is, and about what you're doing, being you on the show, is that there's such brightness and alacrity, and you make me feel like I can do this day, you know? No, it's it's just, it's a wonderful (laughs) energy. And I got to tell you, I have grown very accustomed to how you say good morning. Everyone says that. (laughs) Everyone says, I love that. I love that. It is. It is you. Well, and that was part of me trying to find me. Yeah. um, Because I was just doing it the way I was taught to do it, like opening the mic. But many of our underwriters start with, you're listening to Morning Edition on WVIK. So I couldn't say that. I had to say something different to go into that, and yeah. that's where we landed. Well, it's lovely. Now we're gonna—I gotta avoid being a total fanboy here. But okay, <laughs> we're gonna—we're gonna peel back a, a little bit here and go back earlier and see how this wonderful tr- uh, path you've been on leads to this and many other things. Mm-hmm. But let's start at the very beginning. Where where'd you grow up? I grew up here in Rock Island. I am um, a Riverview kid, which mm-hmm. is now Maple Ridge, but mm-hmm. back then it was a newer um, apartment complex mm-hmm. that was built in the city of Rock Island and um, many days playing along the Mississippi River. We probably didn't realize how dangerous it was <laughs> <Yeah>. then <laughs> um, because there was like this huge field like right outside of our apartment and then steps that led down to the river and there's like no like gate or no. fence there, nothing to say, don't, no chains or anything. So yeah, we would be down there just walking along the Mississippi. So um, that's where we grew up and that's where a lot of my roots are, are in Rock Island, yeah. even though I ended up moving to Davenport Um, when I was nine years old Mm -hmm. we moved to Davenport and that's where the west end of Davenport which Mm -hmm. has its own like fill Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. west end and then um, we did move to Wisconsin for a little bit so um, I ended up graduating from high school in uh, Glendale which is a a suburb about 10 miles north of Milwaukee okay Um, but then made my way back here to the Quad Cities and have been here ever since well Milwaukee's a great town I love Milwaukee I love going back I have my favorite places so yeah I recently went back for a class reunion at well almost five years ago went back for a class reunion but um, it's I think Milwaukee kind of represents what the quest, there's so much diversity. Yeah. And you find that here. Um, but you find that there. So oh, yeah. I think it was it was an easy transition for me because it was just kind of like being here in the Quad Cities. So. And Milwaukee's kind of got this brand as a very German city. And there are strong German elements in the Quad Cities, too. Mm-hmm. But it really is. It rewards the close observer, yes. uh, Milwaukee. You yes. know? And it's funny that you mentioned that about <laughs> the, the varying definitions of child safety from our right. childhood. <laughs> so I grew up in the just above Sylvan Island okay. over on this side of town. Mm-hmm. And... We would go down there all the time, and I think about it, and I would shudder mm-hmm. if I thought my kids or now my grandkids right. would be anywhere near that place. And now they have built nice, you know, fences Barriers. and oh, okay. that kind of stuff. But oh, the stuff we used to do. Things down there. are just so much mm. different back then. I, I always. <laughs> I always think of the time where we first moved to Davenport. Mm-hmm. I was only nine, which means my sister was seven. She's two years younger than me. And um, my mom told us to walk to the swimming pool. We wanted to go swimming. And I was like, oh, here's 50 cents to buy. Get in and just walk. And we missed the turn, which was still about a mile away from our home, yeah. right? We missed the turn and we were walking like Rockingham all the way down Rockingham. And we finally seen someone and we were, and it wasn't a, a 
I think it was a man like standing outside of his house. And we were like, we're looking for the swimming pool. And he told us how to get back. But there's no way I would have sure. my kids just out sure. walking yep. right now. <laughs> like this day and age. So yeah. you're the oldest child? I'm the oldest of two. It's just me and my sister. Yeah. Okay. But you see, there were advantages. I was the youngest of three boys. Okay. And they were hellions and in their own way, in their own way. Uh-huh. So, I mean, by the time I came along, I had to try really hard to even shock my parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have four, and my youngest got away with a lot. Like, well, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's quite like that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, graduating from high school in uh, Milwaukee, then what were the next steps after high school? I came back here. Yeah. Uh, my mom, well, we moved up to Milwaukee because of my mom. Yeah. And then um, she got sick. And so she came back here. Mm-hmm. So I was back here um, to help her. And then I, I mentioned to Yafir, she just, she passed away. Um, but, you know, by that time I had kids. And as a single mom, mm-hmm. my support system was here. My yeah. sister and my dad the, and, you know, my friends, they were here. Right. Oftentimes I would be like, oh, I hate it here. Like, I want to move, you know. And um, Reverend Ford, who's still a really good friend, and he wasn't Reverend Ford back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he did tell me, he said, you know, sis, you can go anywhere you want in the world, but until you find your purpose, you won't mm-hmm. be happy. And I took that to heart. And so I started finding my purpose here. Yeah. And so this is why I'm here. Well, that's a great story, and I'm glad you mentioned the Reverend Dwight Ford. He's going to be our guest in a couple of weeks okay. here on uh, Saturday Morning Live. But uh, and I, if it's all right, I was going to—I thought it's a beautiful homage you're presenting for your mother in what you're wearing today. If you yes, care to explain that, I, my mom was a huge Beatles fan, ah. and today she would have been seventy-one. Hmm. And so um, there's just so many. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for my mom. Yeah, you know, right. she she had me and my sister. Me and my sister are like kind of, we're not kind of, we're complete opposites. But <laughs> she managed to make us both feel like we were just so special. Yeah. And I was telling you the story about Weber Park. Yeah. And um, no one goes to, went to that park back then. So hmm. she would always tell us it was our park. Like, we're going to go to your park today. And we really, truly believed it was our park. Like, no one else had the no one else had a park. None of my friends had a park, but I had a park, you know. And um she I think she wanted so her father was an immigrant from Mexico uh-huh. and there was eight of them growing up and they didn't really have a lot. And so I think she really wanted to do the best she could for us to give us what she didn't have. And so big birthday parties and Broadway theater league and Spanish lessons. I was taking Spanish lessons when I was seven years Mm. old and I played the violin and she just did everything for us that she was not able to do for herself to be able um, to make a difference for us. And it it worked, you know, I, I, promise I wouldn't be the person. And then not only that, but like just seeing what she went through um, really helped me be able to not look at things like obstacles as a problem, but well, okay, let me learn from this and then keep going. right? Right. Because there have been times when other people may have given up you know, or said, oh, okay, I'm done. You know, yeah. this happened, I'm done. Yeah. You yeah. know, but no, you know, yeah. I kept going because she always kept going. Oh, what a beautiful story. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned Weber Park, and mm-hmm. that is one of the most overlooked, it still is, yeah. uh, overlooked parks in the mm-hmm. Quad Cities. It's corner of 30th Street and 7th, 7th Avenue, Avenue in Rock Island. Yeah. Those of us who grew up in the old neighborhood, remember there's the bowling alley across the way. Right? Henry's Hamburgers. Yes. <laughs> Henry's always had like a little toy. They, they, uh-huh. they, they were way ahead of McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, 
We've got an email address now for Saturday Morning Live. It's sml at wvik.org. And I'm going to invite any listener, if you've got a good idea for Weber Park, send it to sml at (laughs) wvik.org. And I'll be there because that's my park. (laughs) Well, that is still your park. Proprietary rights. You don't have to sign off on anything. But they have that neat little, it's like, I think we called it Stonehenge or something. It was this weird pergola. Yep, yep. And then they put a climbing rock in the middle. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there when we were kids, but it's kind of cool. So if people want to do that. But that story about your mother and and, and her father uh, brought to mind uh, last weekend, uh, the Quad City Symphony performed, uh, first time ever, a work by Florence Price, who's Mm -hmm. one of the most unknown stories in classical music. She was born in the 1880s in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. And was a music musical prodigy. Everybody could see that, right? Mm-hmm. And because she had parents too who were like, "You can do this. We got to mm-hmm. do this." She bluffed her way into the New England Conservatory of Music by telling them she was Mexican. Oh, okay. <laughs> because they they were they would probably not have admitted an African American at mm-hmm. that time, nineteen o two. And but her talent just you know backed up everything, every bit of uh, bluster that you might have had otherwise. No, she was able to back it up. Mm-hmm. And so her first um, her first symphony was pre- was played by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in the nineteen thirties. Oh, okay. And yet here we are in the twenty twenties, and so few people have heard of Florence Price. I never heard of her. Well, if you, yeah. you're going to get a chance <laughs> because of, well, let's see, a week from tomorrow, oh. our beloved public radio station will rebroadcast mm-hmm. that concert, okay, so good. people can tune that in. Okay, so uh, Weber Park, uh, great Rock Island, well, great Quad Cities roots between Rock Island and Davenport, Mm -hmm. and then coming back to the community. Well, coming back to the community, I mean, yes, you had a support system that was helping with family, but that was uh, never enough for you. You have been engaged (laughs) uh, in so many things, and that's why I was trying to keep track of the times that um, I have either been in your fan club or we have been collaborators on projects, but Mm -hmm. it's great to be colleagues now through VIK. But I think listeners would be intrigued to know this is just a tiny, tiny, tiny little segment of the many facets of Tracy Singleton. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about some of the other things that you've been involved in and then leading up to a lot of the cool things you're doing now. But what got you you engaged in this stuff? So um, I I started at another radio station. No, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, years ago. And um, it was urban programming. And I went to a seminar and one of the speakers at the seminar um, said, hey, it's fun playing music and doing contests. But keep in mind, when you're on the radio, you have a sense of responsibility to your community because you have a platform that most people don't have. And I took that to heart. And in the Quad Cities, a lot of stuff happens that maybe people don't know about or it doesn't affect them. So. They don't want to, they don't talk about it. And so that's kind of how I started using my voice um, when things were happening. And then the Quasity Times had printed an article. This was in like 1998. And the headline, it was on the front page too, said, lack of black leadership in the Quad Cities. And so those people in, in the area that thought they were black leaders were like, well, why do they think there's a lack of black leadership? So they all got together. And I think I know I was invited because of the radio station. And at that point in time, it's like my mid 
to late twenties. Um, and so I was like in this room with people I looked up to that I was like, gosh, they're doing such great work here, you know, in the quad cities. And it's kind of hard when you're younger, when you have an established group of people who have been working, it's kind of hard to get in. Cause they feel like, Oh, we got it. Don't worry about it. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And so I was there and, um, it, they went around into different events and did surveys to figure out why do they feel like there's a lack of black leadership. And it really came out that there was a lack of black culture, in the Quad Cities. And so it was decided, okay, we'll address that and we'll do this Black History program. Hey, Tracy, can you write the Black History program? And Tracy's like, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) I didn't know anything about Black History. Like, because I grew up in Davenport. I mean, I went to school in Davenport. They, I, me and my sister were the only black students in the school. They weren't talking about black history. Right. I knew about Martin Luther King, you right. know. And so I really became a student of black history at that point in time and started learning everything I could about black history. But the more I learned, like, for lack of a better term, the angrier I got because I was starting to see that, man, people, really just don't like people just because they're black. Like they don't know them, <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of, so that's kind of how I started getting involved in mm-hmm. the work. Mm-hmm. Um, gentleman by the name of Jim Hester, who has mm-hmm. passed, but yeah. he was, I think he was my mentor without me knowing mm-hmm. he was my mentor. They say great leaders will make you think that things are like your ideas, but it's really their idea. Right. And so he would call me and he'd be like, Hey Tracy, did you hear about this? And he would tell me about something. And I'm like, man, that that's unfair. Like, I can't believe they did that. And he's like, yeah, so what are you going to do about it? Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to do something about it. And he's like, yeah, you're supposed to. In fact, I've set a meeting up for you. Like, just go and talk to them. And so he really pushed me yeah. um, to become more involved and be an advocate for our community. Um, but the more and more I started doing these things, the more and more I started realizing that things weren't the same for everybody. Yeah. And so as far as the black community went, I, if I could, I needed to speak and hopefully change. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I got involved in being an advocate for the black community. And I just, you know, I always say big change, little change can affect big change. So I was just doing my little part and doing the things I could do. And then at that point in time, my kids were getting older. I have two sons. Mm -hmm. And so I have two boys, two girls. And so with my, all of them, I wanted them to be able to just be, like not have to worry about being treated differently because they were black. Um, But specifically for my sons, as young black men, Mm -hmm. I had to do everything I could to help create the condition for them to be able to just be. Mm -hmm. And so this is why, you know, I started speaking up and then that whole lack of culture thing. Okay, so let's do some events, you know, that are specifically for the black community Mm -hmm. so that they don't Mm -hmm. feel like there's a lack of black culture here. You don't always feel comfortable. I'm 52, almost 53. And there are times when me and my husband will be sitting in a restaurant and I'll realize we're the only black people in the restaurant or at the grocery store. And that's not always a comfortable feeling. Right. 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 And so if I could create space for people, even if it was just for a Saturday or something to come together where you're looking around and you're seeing people that look like you and you're not the only one all the time mm-hmm, because that can mm-hmm, get exhausting, mm-hmm, you know? And so that's just kind of how everything evolved um, for the work that I, I was doing in the community. We are onto some really good threads here and we're going to keep knitting with them <laughs> and it's going to be a riot, but we got we to gotta pay the bills. You okay. know how that goes. Yep. I'm Ben Schwind. 
Join us Saturday at 6 p.m. for the Echo Radio Hour, where we'll be taking a look at all the music coming out of the Quad Cities. The Echo Radio Hour is made possible by Village Home Stores. And friends, if you are joining us, it's 34 degrees, by the way, in the Quad Cities at 25 minutes past 10 o'clock. My guest is Tracy Singleton, the morning edition host on WVIK. So glad you could be here. But we're Mm -hmm. talking about all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get around to morning edition. (laughs) I got to tell you, so... um, You've you've mentioned already a couple of things, and we're going to get into more of the things that you're, you're you're involved in right now. But some really serious threads here. One of the things I try to convey to uh, my fellow uh, white persons or, or persons of privilege is you don't know privilege when it's staring you in your face. And so one of the things I would say you were talking about your sons. Um, uh, I have uh, great. Um, feelings of empathy with my African-American friends because they often, as parents, have to have a conversation, especially with their sons, that I never had to have with my sons. Right. And if you haven't had that conversation, how you can't really understand you know, what the tensions are, what you were talking about, to be the only person or, or a, a, a very small number of people. And so I was grateful this last summer, my son and I were able to travel in the South. Yeah, I remember well, watching that well, on Facebook, your we had, journey. <laughs> yeah, we had a great, great time. But one element that I realized in retrospect, I had some friends who gave me the experience when I was in college to go to the South Side of Chicago and be like the only person with my pigmentation around, mm-hmm. right? But he had never had that. So we mm-hmm. would go to some, we went and grabbed some, we was, went, made sure we went to places in Jackson, Montgomery, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, and Selma, mm-hmm. uh, where we were the only white persons. And uh, it, it changes things for you. Mm-hmm. And that's only one time. And that's the privilege thing, right? Right. And you have to have that privilege deconstructed uh, before you can, I think, grow and move forward. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and um, and about how it is. I mean, there is something that's going to add. I mean, the fact that you and and, and Benny, I mean, have to uh, you'll be aware of that at certain times. That does create it's it's a it's an unnecessary drain on energy, right? It is, and like I said, it gets exhausting. Yeah. Harvard did a study that said. Um, Teenagers, high school teenagers, experience seven instances of racism every day. And a lot of that is like through social media or through microaggressions or passive aggressive or just directly. Mm-hmm. That gets exhausting. Like you, who could deal with that every day? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where you either are exhausted by it or you feel like, oh, well, this is just how it is. And that's not how it should be. Yeah. And so... um that's all I've ever tried to do was to make sure that we have these spaces where it's okay to be the own, you know, to be around other black boys or other black business owners or the black community, because we need a break. Sometimes mm-hmm. we really do. And Absolutely. I, you know, for the most part, I'm a very optimistic person. I don't think that people are do things intentionally or on purpose. And that's just, I think my view of wanting the world to just be kind, you know, yeah. but sometimes like, like on Facebook with like different articles that are posted or news stories are done. I try not to read the comments, but sometimes I do and I shouldn't because mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, like I live in a community with people who really think like this, yeah. or I'm in the grocery store with people who really think like this. Yeah. And, 
people are who they are. And I could argue and argue and argue to try to prove points, but they are who they are at the end of the day. So I just, you have to, when people show you who they are, you got to believe them. And then you just work and interact and engage with the ones who truly understand. Yeah. 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 Well, so this, I can see, and I'm grateful you mentioned Mr. Hester. And so yes. this is putting you on a trajectory. Let's talk mm-hmm. about how that then sort of uh, flowed into some of the things you're doing now, which are amazing. Oh, thank you. You know, it's I'm just doing my thing, you know. <laughs> um, and actually, it started with the QC Empowerment Network, yep. um, which we're kind of an offshoot of Omaha's Empowerment Network. Uh, Willie Barney was lived in the Quad Cities for years and then moved to Omaha. Uh, he worked for the Quad City Times and mm. um, took a job in Omaha and started recognizing the issues and problems that were going on there. And we were watching like from the sidelines and seeing the change that was happening. So that we were like, well, maybe we can do that here in the Quad Cities. There was a challenge because Omaha's one city and the Quad Cities is four cities. So it's four different police departments, four different school boards, four different municipalities. And so to have that effective work, that impactful work that he was doing presented a challenge for us here. And so we were kind of just playing around with things. We didn't want to step on toes because there's plenty of programs that are out here doing wonderful things. So we didn't want to try to duplicate what anyone was doing. Mm. And that's where we ended up landing with the black businesses, because at that time, no one was doing anything for the black businesses. And so we held our first black business expo eight years ago, and we have just been going from there. Has it been eight years? Yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So we um, have found our niche with the the Black-owned businesses, creating space for them, advocating for them, networking, creating networking opportunities for them. Um, and it went from just doing the expo once a year to offering lunch and learns four times a year to going to the open-air markets all summer long. And now to the point where we have partnered with a state-led um, program that funds black owned businesses. Mm -hmm. So now on top of everything we were already offering them, the one thing we couldn't offer at the time was funding. Now we have that going on as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we are just so happy with the direction. And and now, so we did go to Omaha last year for their 15th anniversary because they've been going on for 15 years. Um, But we were inspired with all everything that they're doing. So we're like, okay, so let's move on from the businesses. Like we're still going to do the businesses, but what else can we do? Yeah. So there's a couple of programs considered low hanging fruit. Doesn't take a lot of money to do. It just takes community support. Um, So we'll be rolling those programs out this year. Well, and before we get any further away from the Black uh, uh, Empowerment Network, um, Uh now I have to preface this by saying I am not on the payroll of either Celebrity Styles or (laughs) (laughs) World Seamoss Movies, (laughs) where we just recently saw each other was our mutual friends uh, Lonnie and Constance Westerfield Uh have opened uh, this amazing uh, enterprise on Harrison. And uh, the reason I wanted, wanted to plug that is if you go for a smoothie, which by the way, is going to be an amazing smoothie. Uh-huh. One of the things that Lonnie and Constance have done is they've named every smoothie after a leader in American history. And right. you can go around the corner in the seating area and, and read about right. each one of these people. Uh-huh. And I just think that's a phenomenal thing. And I wanted to thank you for being of, so supportive and encouraging. The ribbon cutting. And, we're, we're there. We oh, want yeah. to be there. Oh, yeah. uh, let me tell you, how much time do we got? Oh, we got to Okay, so funny story. Yesterday, I get off the air, and I'm like, huh, I really want a bagel. 
And so I was like, I'm going to go to Panera and get my bagel and Diet Pepsi before I go into work. And so I start driving up Brady. I'm like, I probably should go to Lonnie's. Like, I should probably get a smoothie and, you know, shop with them. And I'm like, I really want a bagel. So I drove all the way out to Panera, right? I get in the line. I do my order like I always do. And she says, oh, I'm sorry. We're out of onion and um, chive. Um, cream cheese. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll just do regular cream cheese. She's like, okay. She starts reading the order back to me again. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. We're out of Asiago cheese bagels. I'm like, what? Okay. I'll just take the Diet Pepsi because by this time I have a car in front of yep, me and a car yep, behind yep, me. Yep. So I was like, I'll just take the Diet Pepsi. She said, like, I'm sorry, our CO2 machine's out. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I knew I should have just went. So that's where I ended up going. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what I, what I, one of the many things I love about it is yes, you get something that's so healthy. And there are even displays about what every element exactly. would do for mm-hmm. your overall health and wellness. But Lonnie being Lonnie, you can also get an amazing the donut. conversation. Oh, the don't the mini the cinnamon sugar ones. I did. I got eight of those. <laughs> so you can treat both sides. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, of the persona, but yes, of course, amazing conversation. Uh-huh. And uh, you know the the, the thing that uh, as a student of history that astonishes me is that I don't really know. I, can, I in my personal claims, I don't know of any people more entrepreneurial than Constance and Lonnie. Right, because right? they're going to keep. Oh, always. <laughs> he always. just yesterday, he's like, we're going to be having another ribbon cutting here soon. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but to think that uh, not that many decades ago, mm-hmm. uh, those entrepreneurial uh, creative energies would mm-hmm. have been tamped down by structures yes. and, and held down is, uh, first off, it's it, 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 makes you, it makes you realize how, I'll be the optimist, grateful we can be for progress, but it also makes you realize... Why don't we study that? And the fact that that's part of the national conversation, mm-hmm. that we can't study that. We can't trust can't our children. Talk about it to learn well, about you, it. That's right. In mm-hmm. some states, you can't talk about things that, uh, by someone's definition, make students uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you, well, how do you progress? And it's not, not just about democracy. Those, right. I come down to it all the time. It's about economics. Mm-hmm. I mean, our... Uh, local economy is made so much more vibrant by entrepreneurs. Why would you sit, tell 30%, 40% of those entrepreneurs, I'm sorry, we're not interested? I mean, right. And we did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So. And, and oh, sometimes it's still happening. It's still, it, it, no, <laughs> yeah. No. I, you know, I, I get a little frustrated and I do my best to fight through, advocate for, have these difficult conversations with people to, to see our perspective because it's not. It's it's not us wanting more. It's not us complaining. It's us just wanting the same access that everyone else has. And we don't get that. There are many instances where I have found out about something. And instead of the first thing being, oh, great that you heard about this. It was like, how, who told you that? How'd you hear about this? How'd hmm. you get that email? Hmm. You know, and I'm like, well, no, I'm a nonprofit. So let's just talk. Like, don't worry about where I got it from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's just talk about it, you yeah. know. And so... um so it takes that modeling, which I talked about at Lonnie Ray's um, grand opening, is it takes that modeling to show no matter how frustrated you get, it's still possible. You have to fight through a mm-hmm. lot of things. Nothing is handed to anybody, you know, so you have to fight through a lot of things. You have to kind of t- take things as they are, but know how you can make it d- different, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because... It is, the systems are what they are, you know, redlining was a real thing 
which is why we have the communities we have now, mm-hmm. you know, that are still disinvested and disadvantaged, have, you know, the the Lincoln Center is in the third ward, which is the poorest ward in the city of Davenport. There's a reason why it's below Locust, you know, like that's where they kept us, you know. So um, it, it takes knowledge for one. Right. It Mm -hmm. takes people knowing, but you won't know. We can't talk about it. Right. And so as I think as parents or as mentors, you have that responsibility Mm -hmm. to make sure that people understand everything. Right. Because it's it's easy to complain. It really is. It's always easier to not do something than it is to do something. Exactly. And so um, if you're equipped with the knowledge of how things went versus how things are, right? then it makes things a little bit easier to say, okay, I'm going to keep pushing. Well, ask any physician, how are you going to propose a cure if you don't know the patient's history? Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, uh, before we get off of Lonnie Ray's, many people will remember the landmark of Greatest Grains. In yes. case you're heading there right now uh, to get a great smoothie, and I know your favorite. Because it's my favorite, the Ida, the B, Ida Wells. B. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so check out the Ida B Wells. But now to get my mind not thinking about that, because that's mm-hmm. all I can think about now is peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> I got to change the subject. This is the Composer's Datebook for March 11th. I'm John Burge. Today's date marks the birth anniversaries of two major 20th century American composers. Carl Ruggles, born in East Marion, Massachusetts, on today's date in 1876, and Henry Cowell in Menlo Park, California, in 1897. Carl Ruggles was a tough old bird who wrote a small handful of tough, uncompromising musical works. He conducted a symphony orchestra in Winona, Minnesota from 1908 to 1912, taught at the University of Miami from 1937 to 1943, and was a talented painter to boot. His first music to be performed in public was entitled A Voice Crying in the Wilderness, which was an apt description of Ruggles himself, a crusty loner who once claimed the only man he ever met who could outswear him was his friend and colleague Charles Ives. Ruggles eventually retired to an old schoolhouse in Arlington, Vermont. Henry Cowell was a much more genial, outgoing sort, a composer, performer, and teacher who wrote a great deal of music, ranging from the dissonant and experimental to the beguilingly lyrical. Cowell was an early apostle of what we now call world music, and in 1956 undertook a world tour sponsored by the Rockefeller Foundation and the U.S. State Department, which included lengthy stays in Iran, India, and Japan. Composer's Datebook is produced by APM, American Public Media, in conjunction with the American Composers Forum, reminding you that all music was once new. Support for Composer's Datebook comes from the Quad City Symphony Orchestra, presenting Up Close with the Figgy, Women in Music, on March 25th. Join the QCSO for an evening at the museum celebrating women in music performed by cellist Hannah Holman, pianist Marion Lee, and the QCSO String Quartet. Tickets and other info available at qcso.org. And friends, you are 
you are you're very fortunate today, friends, because you're getting to like me hear from Tracy Singleton about more than the forecast and what the bridges are doing yeah. and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> which we appreciate deeply, deeply, deeply. But now we can talk about some other things as well. So we've been talking a little bit about the Black Empowerment Network, um, Black Business Expo, um, and you you made reference to the Lincoln Center. Let's talk about what that is and the force that it's been and becoming. I'm just so grateful for the Lincoln Center. Hmm. I will say that. Um, They came at a time where I didn't feel like I was going to be able to do work in the Black community um, just because of some things that had happened. And so um, when they... When I was first approached, I was because I have my own nonprofit called Well Suited, hmm. and mm-hmm. I was approached as far as, "Hey, you should bring Well Suited to the the Lincoln School." I'm like, "What are they even doing over there?" Like, I hadn't heard. I knew it was purchased, and I knew who it was purchased by, but I hadn't heard anything else. And so I um, met with Pastor uh, Kirk, who uh-huh. is the yep. pastor of Third Missionary Baptist Church, and we knew each other socially, but we had never just sat and talked. And so I sat and talked with him and got a little more clear vision of what they wanted to do over there, but it hadn't been done yet. There was the execution of it hadn't happened yet. So I did a tour of the school. I'm a West End girl, so Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about what was going on in the East side of Davenport. And, um, took a tour of it and saw the possibilities, right? Because it was just an empty school at the time. But I was like, oh, we could do this and you could do this. And so they asked me to be on their board. And I'm like, oh, no, like, I don't want to be on your board. (laughs) That's a full-time job. Like, I would have to be staff, you know, and I'll be here 40 hours a week and we'll make sure things happen. And so they offered me the position, but then we're like, well, we don't have any money. And I was like, okay, I mean, all the money's a part of that. <laughs> but it's like something spoke to me. I, I really, literally, I heard a voice say, just do it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, I'll, I'll do it. I'll be a volunteer um, 40 hours a week. We'll get this these things started and these things done. And I know once the community understands the impact that we're going to have, that the money will come. So I was a volunteer for a year and a half. And um, then finally, you know, we were able to get a grant that paid for operational costs. And then I started getting paid. But in the meantime, we just knew we, we outlined the priorities. Mm. And that was, for one, getting uh, tenants in the building. So we use our classrooms as sp- tenant space. Um, we're full, which is I would have never thought that we would be that way. We stay full. And even when someone moves out, we have a waiting list of people who want to come in. And the whole purpose behind that is to offer low-cost space for people who can't afford to go um, into a regular brick and mortar, a standalone or right. a mall. They just couldn't afford it. And so we offer these spaces at very affordable costs. So um, we have 20 Black-owned businesses, nonprofits, and organizations in the building. So that was goal number one. Goal number two was um, to form partnerships. We're a community center. So we knew we needed the community behind us to do what, whatever it was we were trying to accomplish. And so every week I would make it a point to meet with someone else. And some people I already knew, some people I didn't know, but I they are anchor institutions. They're in the same area that mm-hmm. we're in and they needed to be involved too. Um, so we formed wonderful partnerships based off that. And then the third thing was to be consistent. 
and to do what we said we were going to do. Um, so often there would be organizations that would come into the community and say to the black community, hey, we're going to do this or you're going to have this or we're going to make this happen. And then it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so we had to be consistent, whether we had one people there, 100 people there, or 1000 people there, we were going to do what we said we were going to do. Um, and so that those three things have paid off for us to put us in the position where we are now. Um, and then these wonderful partnerships have now af- been enabled us to open a business center and a community meeting space. And um, we're working on our food, a community refrigerator project next. And it's just every day I go in there with purpose, which I think everyone should do when they go to work. Yeah. But it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. Um, but every day I go in there with purpose and know that we are truly making a difference. So um, does Third Missionary Baptist own the building? So Third Missionary Baptist owns the building. So the name of the building is TMBC, which could be Third Missionary Baptist Church, right? <laughs> but actually TMBC for our building is together making a better community. What a gr- Oh, that's yes. awesome. That is so cool. All right, we're going to get back to even more uh, good news. But I, uh, as I said earlier, one of the things that I love about your presence on Morning Edition is that I just feel revved up and ready to go for the day, you mm-hmm. know, just b- by the, the, the personality of you being who you are, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought, this is a very special pick for my, that's my jam for the okay. day of Tracy's Things going. <laughs> and I thought about a lot of very cliched ones. And mm-hmm. I thought, what really makes it fun for me is, let's go, yeah, the, the source material is cliched, but this is very, very distinctive. And that's what I think you bring to uh, oh, okay. uh, Morning Edition is uh-huh. distinction. But now that I've said all that, you're going to hate it. But friends, this is my jam. <laughs>
Tracy, I beg your indulgence, but there is a certain segment of folks listening today who will remember that that was Brave Combo, which was a wonderful okay. uh, mm-hmm. band that played uh, 80s, 90s. I think they're still doing stuff, but they, we <laughs> used to be able to get them at Ribco. Oh, okay. They would come and play at Ribco, and it defies description, but I tell people it's it's Tex-Mex Klezmer, and so they just fuse <laughs> these different Everything things together. together. Yeah, you can tell. Um, but there's uh, their, um, their rendition of Besame Mucho is... Uh, it's great. Uh, but if you get a chance yes. to check out Brave Combo, that was their take on Oh, What a Beautiful Morning from the album Humansville. But I mean, that's what I feel like. I feel energized when I'm hearing you on the air. Mm-hmm. And like the other thing that I have to say before we get too much further is I feel like you're a fellow listener with me. Uh, and mm-hmm. we were talking about yesterday, there was a really great piece that they had extracted from their podcast through line right. about the roots of house music. Yes. Yeah. And you said it for us. It's like, <laughs> yeah. isn't it great that there's a place where you can hear stuff like this? You're not going to hear this anywhere else. I am I'm a fan of NPR. Mm-hmm. And um, depending on how early I get here, I don't always get a chance to read through all the stories because I do have to... Do local stories, but I also have to do forward promotion for the national stories. So sometimes when you hear me reading them, I'm reading them for the first time. And if it's something I'm really interested in, you can hear the excitement (laughs) in my voice, right? And I was so excited about this. But here's here's the thing for me is I know what the listener base is for WVIK. So when but NPR is very liberal, right? Like Mm. they're telling a lot of stories that may hit on a nerve or make cross the line a little bit. And so I'm so glad that our listeners are getting different perspectives and they're hearing different stories sure. and they're learning about different things. That's why I was so excited about that story about house music. I'm like, man, yeah, that that 70-year-old guy that's listening while he's drinking coffee right now is getting a lesson on house music. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, but I will beg to differ with you on one point. Okay. I can, I agree with some of the uh, media studies that rank NPR far more in the center. Mm-hmm. I would say the phenomenon we've seen is that fringe media uh, has pushed our, uh, you know, our our base level. Mm-hmm. It has warped it really yeah. in a lot in a large way. So I I prefer to go with those uh, that'll look like a sort of a, a heat chart with you know what's what's centrist, what's mm-hmm. left, what's right, what's ever there, mm-hmm. and NPR news. Yeah. Tends to be, I mean, I can't speak for the podcast because I don't listen to a lot of them, mm-hmm. but the news coverage tends to be right in the middle along with things like The Economist. I, yeah. I'm very much about, and the uh, the News Hour mm-hmm. with, uh, on PBS, mm-hmm. you know, and if they're saying things that, you know, people have been trained from, you know, this sort of more fringy yeah. but populist media right. to identify mm-hmm. as, you know, liberal or conservative. Well, you, you can't really uh, account for that other than these are uh, these are think tanks that look at this very seriously because right. they're making recommendations about where – and what I love about NPR News and Morning Edition is, yeah. like you said, is um, I'm, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to have my perspective broadened. And one of the phenomena that happened when you and I were coming up in radio – is we started to see that shift towards narrow casting from broadcast. Right. After deregulating radio and saying that you didn't have to serve the public interest, mm-hmm. the fairness doctrine was abandoned entirely, mm-hmm. which opened the door for um, people to make a lot of money right. by telling you and me exactly what we wanted to hear, even mm-hmm. if what they were telling you was different than what they're telling me. Right. It was that niche broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of us of our age, you know, will say, oh, don't you remember Walter Cronkite gave one newscast for everybody and all that kind right. of stuff. 
uh, it doesn't happen anymore. No, right? no. There's so many different perspectives. Right. And that's the one thing for me about Morning Edition. Yeah. Is like you're going to hear a little bit of everything, but you're definitely going to learn something that you didn't know when you turned the radio sure. on. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. Well, anyway. And now talking about learning something, I need to learn more about Well Suited. Oh. Okay. So tell us about <laughs> that program and how we can uh, maybe get engaged with it. I love Well Suited. Once again, I'm a mom of two young black boys. Mm-hmm. And so Well Suited actually just started. It was just supposed to be a event. And it's, it was a tuxedo event. Mm-hmm. And it was really based off an event that had happened in Milwaukee. And yep. I happened to see pictures of it on Facebook. And um, I was like, oh, like, I want to do that here. And I know some guys, you know, and so I just called 25 friends and I'm like, hey, will you run a tuxedo for yourself and for a young boy? And then we reached out to different mentoring programs in the Quad Cities to get the boys involved. So it was a day where they um, had tuxedos. They didn't get dressed until they got there. So the men helped them yeah. learn how to tie a tie and do cufflinks and not spray too much cologne on. <laughs> <laughs> and then they did a tuxedo walk that we invited the community to come out and cheer them on um, over to Schwiebert Park. And then at Schwiebert Park, they had a professional photo shoot done. And then they came back to the Holiday Inn for a black tie dinner with uh, speakers that talked about how they grew up and how now they're successful engineers and entrepreneurs and teachers and so on and so forth. So it was just supposed to be that event. And it was great. Um, I had a teacher, a principal reach out to me from a school where she had um, about 20 black boys, but only had one male on staff and no black staff at all. Mm -hmm. So on a day-to-day basis, they weren't even seeing people that looked like them. And so she's like, hey, can you bring your program over here? And I was like, yeah. It wasn't a program, but I was like, yeah, I'll bring my program over. So (laughs) it was really, um, that's how Well Suited got at roots. It was like, I always believe preparation plus opportunity equals success. And so I was prepared. We got the opportunity, and it has been a successful program for eight years now. So some of those boys that were in that first program of Well Suited at that elementary school are now sophomores in high school. And they are the leaders. These aren't the ones you'll see on the news or read about in the paper. They are the leaders on their basketball team, on their football team, in their classroom, and their IJAC program, you know. And they all will tell me that it's because of well-suited. Right. And really, it's really a simple concept. I just invite men to come hang out with the boys. Yeah. And the men share their stories of how they grew up. So the boys are able to see themselves in real time, right? Mm-hmm. They're able to be like, oh, okay. Like, he's growing up like I'm growing up. He had the same obstacles that I'm having or the same problems I'm having. But now he's CEO of a company Mm -hmm. or he's a police officer or Mm -hmm. he's a general in the military. So they're able to see themselves on the other side. And sometimes that's the only thing you need to do to get through what you're going through is to be able to see yourself on the other side. So this is not all matchy-matchy like some other programs. I just let it organically happen. And what happens is the men just start forming a relationship with these boys. So they're showing up at their football games Hmm. and their basketball games at mm. their award ceremonies, you know, and it's just, the, I think the number is 48% of black children in the Quad Cities are being raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. So having a man, a, a male role model in their lives are very important 
Well, the flip side of that is not just the the older male saying, you know, look, I started and I'm, here's where I am now. I think for the younger participants, it's that feeling of having somebody say, I see you and, and, right. and I see and what I you're And I want doing. you to succeed. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and what I will also say is that the men get just as much out of this of as course. the boys do. Of yes, they do. And I did so. Big Brothers a million years ago. I, mm-hmm. I got way more out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the thing, I think one of your volunteers might be Eric Rowell. Yes, and he see, became a Big Brother. Yes. yes. And he needs to, te- see, you said teach the 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 young man how to do I still don't know how to tie a bow tie. I mean, I do the clip-on thing like this. I need someday Eric's going to have to teach me how to do it. Yes. But I'm so grateful that you mentioned as the father of a son who's now out of that particular range, mm-hmm. somebody, I mean, he was the one who introduced me to Axe. Axe mm-hmm. was not a phenomenon when I was a kid. And I just said, what is that? <laughs> I was like, mm Yeah, no. no, the tuxedo event, obviously with COVID, we had to take some time off. Um, but yeah. I'm so excited that it'll be back this year. Yeah. Yes. And how can those of us who are interested help out in any way? Really, with the tuxedo event, it's the sponsorship yeah. of a tuxedo. Tuxedo prices have gone up. Yeah, everything <laughs> And so and we want to make sure, like, I don't ever want to tell a boy, no, they can't do it. So I think the last one we did in 2019, I ended up paying for, like, 10 tuxedos myself mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. because we don't want to tell boys no. Um, so that's the main thing is that every boy gets a tuxedo. That's going to run up over $1,000. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So we want to make sure that they have the tuxedos. And then we have some men who want to help, but, you know, maybe they're a college student or something. They don't have the money to to rent. They want to be there and they want to be present and be a role model. They just don't have the money. And I hate to ask for money because I don't want people to think, oh, she's just about money. No. I remember one kid, he put the first year, he put his tuxedo on. And he was standing, there was a mirror, and yeah. he was just standing there looking uh, at himself. And so uh, I happened to walk by him. He said, I look good, don't I? Mm-hmm. I said, you do. And he said, I can take this home. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can't right, take right, that right. home, but you can come back every, and he's back every year. Is he really? Yeah. And they just change. They, they, their whole, and that's really for the, the mission of Well Suited is to let them see themselves differently yeah, so yeah. they can see differently for themselves. Yeah. And is there a website we could check yep, out? Yep. It's wellsuitedqc.org. Oh, that's easy. Wellsuitedqc.org. Um, I, I, I will say, though, that the reason I don't worry about uh, putting in a pitch for supporting things like this is you just you said it yourself about the, uh, the Lincoln School project and everything about that. You came even though. Uh, there wasn't remuneration, but mm-hmm. you sensed it. And, you know, we talk at, at at places like Augustana a lot about finding the place of calling, the place of purpose. And we use this language from a theologian named Frederick Beekner, and that is you find where your deep joy meets the world's deep hunger. Oh, so I it's not that. just about doing the stuff that I want. And that's when you describe that, I'm like, Oh, we have got to put you in front of some Augustana students because <laughs> that's what you do. Is you first you you have to listen to yourself and say, "Well, what gives me deep gladness?" Mm-hmm. And okay, it's not sufficient to live uh, to myself or anything like that. What can I do that addresses the world? And that your story just completely nailed it. Oh, thank you. So what's next for you? <laughs> what's next? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I don't know what's next. I just wake up each day living my life the way I know it was intended for me to live it. And, um, you know, opportunities happen. And um, I'm behind the scenes on a lot of things that people wouldn't even know I was behind the scenes on. But um, I'm just going to keep doing what is put on my heart to do and hopefully make that change that's needed in our community. 
Oh, Tracy Singleton, thank you so much <laughs> for being with us for because this is this is important for me as a WVIK listener, and I hope others as well to realize that that person that helps us get our day started mm-hmm. is a very fully dimensional person <laughs> and somebody that we can be very pleased to be a leader in our Quad Cities community. So, thank you. Well, thank you, and uh, that will do it for now. Uh, my guest, of course, Tracy Singleton, who has too many titles to mention, but you can learn more <laughs> at WellSuitedQC.org and listen to her Monday through Friday on morning edition now here's the wild one friends you don't want to miss next week when my guest is going to be don wooten yep that's right that don wooten until then though support for wvik comes from illinois state university founded in 1857 as illinois first public university to prepare future educators today offering 150 degree programs in six academic colleges Learn more at illinoisstate.edu. And support for WVIK comes from Chamber Music Quad Cities. Presenting Anna Elashvili and Thomas, uh, Thomas Sauer performing violin sonatas by Brahms and Ravel. The concert is on March 11th at 7.30 p.m. in, that's tonight, in Trinity Episcopal Cathedral, Davenport. But you can still find information and tickets at chambermusicqc.org. Now, in our forecast, there's some rain likely after 5. That's probably going to clear up overnight. Might be a little bit of snow. Don't look for a lot of accumulation. Then tomorrow, after the rain goes through, mostly cloudy with a high near 37 degrees in the Quad Cities. Starting the work week on Monday, mostly cloudy with a high near 35 degrees. Right now, reading 34 degrees in the Quad Cities. As aforesaid, this is your public radio station. Stay tuned for Away With Words. Next up on WVIK Rock Island, Quad Cities Public Radio.